Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hi, my name's Jack Jericho. Um, has anyone ever told you that you have the face of a boat of jelly in the body of a digger? No one who wasn't trying to pick me up. What's that? <laughs> How kind, really. God, I love the way he said that. Hi. Did anyone ever tell you that you have the face of a Botticelli in the body of a Dagon? I'm a 10th grade art teacher. Look, I must run, but let me assure you, this is only the beginning. Jack Jericho is a master in the art of meeting women. My name's Jack Jericho. Jack Jericho! Jack Jericho! You said that already. That's right, I did. Now, <gasps> this artist this much for you. is about to meet his match. Can I ask you a very personal question? Did anyone ever tell you that I have the face of a Botticelli? Think of something original. Some guy used it on me this morning. You're the most lovely, luminous, radiant, exotic, erotic woman I've ever met. He's shy. You do! I don't! You will! I won't! You can't lose this girl! And then he kissed me. Molly Ringwald. Has anyone ever told you that you have crazy taste in women? Robert Downey. I'm romantic. The pickup artist. And then he Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're gonna cover the movie The Pickup Artist from 1987. The studio was 20th Century Fox, a release date was September 18th, 1987. The running time, very quick, 81 minutes. The rating, PG-13. The budget was $15 million, and the box office only took in $13.2 million, making it the 78th ranked movie of 1987. Rotten Tomatoes gives the movie 57% rotten from 21 reviews. Roger Ebert at the time gave it half a star out of four, (laughs) and here's his review. James Toback's The Pickup Artist is an uneasy alliance of two incompatible groups of cliches. On the one hand, we have the horny teenager movie, made no more palatable because the characters are slightly older and should have known better by now. On the other hand, we have the desperate heroine trying to win enough money in Atlantic City to pay off her alcoholic father's gambling debts before he gets his kneecaps broken. Any movie attempting to find room for both of these plots in the same space of time already would be in trouble. But the pickup artist even has guest appearances from other movies. Actors playing the same roles in this film that they've already have played in other better films. Dennis Hopper, for example, is the drunken father. A shamble of ruined self-loathing, drinking himself into oblivion while his child tries to help him. This is a guest shot from Hoosiers. Then Harvey Keitel turns up as the sadistic mobster who wants to collect the money Hopper owes him. Later, in an Atlantic City casino, he gets his comeuppance from a gambling boss. Didn't we see this character in Wise Guys? The pickup artist is so filled with borrowings and archetypes and cliches that there is no room for one thing that might have saved it. Molly Ringwall's charm. After playing a teenager filled with life and wit and 16 candles and pretty in pink, she is left stranded in this film. If all of her shots were strung together in one unbroken piece of film, you would see her standing there speechless with her mouth hanging open for minute after minute. 
She arguably has fewer lines of dialogue in that film than the top three supporting players. That leaves Robert Downey as the film's star, an honor he does nothing to deserve. (laughs) He is the pickup artist, a 21-year-old grade school teacher who tries to pick up everything that is female, attractive, and appears in his field of vision, including Vanessa Williams in a walkthrough role. He practices his come-ons in front of a mirror and eventually gets to be almost clever enough to pick up the ugly sister in a 1940s musical. The notion that anyone could get anywhere with a Manhattan woman using his dialogue in 1987 is the single funny thing in the movie. This is a man who was born to be told to get lost. Has anyone ever told you you have the face of Chagall and the body of a Picasso, he asks on more than one occasion, exchanging artist's name at random? This is an appalling, silly movie, from its juvenile comic overture to its dreadful, sincere conclusion. What's amazing is that it was written and directed by Toback, who in his screenplay for The Gambler showed a profound knowledge of gambling, and who directed Keitel in Fingers as an infinitely more interesting criminal, and who in Exposed gave Natasha Kinski the funniest and sexiest scene of her career. None of these qualities of those movies can be found in The Pickup Artist, which is ungainly and pointless. And that's the end of Beaver's review. Now, I definitely saw this movie as a kid because I love Molly Ringwald and Sixteen Candles and The Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink. And I do remember being disappointed because it wasn't anything like those films. And I sort of forgot about it for years, but it magically ended up in my DVD collection about 10 years ago. And I'm not about to say it's anywhere near a great film, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as Ebert makes it out to be. And I'll give you my reasoning a bit later. Okay, let's get into the main cast. Molly Ringwald plays Randy Jensen, and she was one of the key members of the so-called Brat Pack from the 1980s. Ringwald's teenage flicks will always be considered the most revered of the era, and even though she would continue her career on film and Broadway, she never had the same success as she did in those three films. And she didn't do herself any favors by supposedly turning down the lead roles in Pretty Woman and Ghost. One interesting film idea that never came to fruition was around the time of The Pickup Artist, and it was a screenplay written by John Hughes titled Oil and Water, which was to star Ringwald and Matthew Broderick in the style of The Breakfast Club. It was about a soon-to-be-married man and a hitchhiking rocker girl, and they end up talking about their lives during the length of the car ride. Now, that would have been interesting. Robert Downey Jr., who was just going by Robert Downey at the time, plays Jack Jericho. At this point, Downey was definitely not the megastar we know him as now. The Pickup Artist would be his first co-starring role, though he was in two of my favorite films as the goofy friend, like in Weird Science as the quirky jerk, and of course Back to School as the quirky but hilarious idiot. This would be his final film where he was just billed as Robert Downey without the Juner moniker. And as Ebert mentioned, there is a great supporting cast. Harvey Keitel, Dennis Hopper, Danny Aiello, and Victoria Jackson. The director and screenwriter James Toback. Ebert mentioned Toback's better-known writing credits. The three films he directed prior to The Pickup Artist were 1978's Fingers with Harvey Keitel, 1981's Love and Money, and 1983's Exposed with Natasha Kinski. Of note, Toback directed the terrific documentary Tyson in 2008 about the life of boxer Mike Tyson. All right, let's get into the film. The film begins with a classic R&B song, Da Do Ron Run, by The Crystals. Jack Jericho, Robert Downey, is talking to himself in the bathroom mirror, practicing his pickup lines. These lines are interspersed with Jack driving around town, scouting potential pickups while the opening song plays. Hi. 
My name's Jack Jericho. <clears throat> Hi. Hi, my name's Jack Jericho. Um, has anyone ever told you that you have the face of a Botticelli in the body of a digger? intruding on you like this but if i don't stop you now i may never run into you again and may never have the pleasure of knowing who you are so that we can fulfill our destiny together on this planet what's your name eileen eileen God. great name got brilliant name <laughs> how kind really god i love the way you said that um eileen can i be bold enough to, to ask you for your phone number Write it down. Right. Are you serious? No, I have a photographic memory for everything that's important to me. And if your phone number isn't the most important seven digits in the whole cosmos, then I don't know what it is. Jack has a nice trick where he constantly double parks in the city. This is New York City. He simply places an existing parking ticket on the windshield to deter potential traffic cops the hassle of writing another ticket. Though I think this is likely only going to work in the movies. This particular day, Jack scores one phone number from a very attractive woman who is just pinched in the ass by some creep. Jack uses this knowledge to charm her. However, Jack is all about quantity and immediately sees another woman across the street and races over to chat with her. This woman is not as accommodating, along with her Doberman pincher named Caligula. <laughs> and this woman is none other than singer and actress Vanessa Williams. Hi, Karen. Six, eight, nine, two, five, one, Karen. Hi. Oh, hi, hi, I couldn't help noticing this great outfit, the way you walk, which is very exciting, and a uh, terrific haircut, which I love, and of course, this great-looking dog. Hi. He's not dangerous, is he? Depends. Ah, my name's Jack Jericho. You said that already. That's right, I did. What's your dog's name? Caligula. Great name. And yours? Doesn't really matter, does it? Not at all. Have a pleasant afternoon. Maybe we'll run into each other again sometime. Jack is an elementary school gym teacher who is likely not going to have his contract renewed for the next school year. The principal who likes Jack tells him that there was a complaint from one of the mothers he tried to smooth talk, who is the wife of a mobster in town. Now, Jack should probably cool it, but he never will. To prove this point, that night, Jack tries to pick up a woman sitting in a car outside of a nightclub named Lulu, played by Victoria Jackson. Lulu is enjoying the flirting, but also warns Jack that her boyfriend won't think much of Jack if he catches him. Jack, of course, ignores this until her boyfriend, Alonzo, that's Harvey Keitel, appears, and as only he can, tells Jack what he can do. Now, Jack wisecracks a few lines before Alonzo puts a gun to his neck. Jack gets the message and scampers off into the nightclub. The what of a who? Has anyone ever told you that you have a magnificent smile and skin that was invented to be touched? No one who wasn't trying to pick me up. And would that be a sin? A mistake. No, no, no. Desire is never a mistake. Only rejection is. It isn't going to happen. How can you say that with this look on your face? It's just bubbling with curiosity. Because my boyfriend's going to be back any minute, and if I'm not here, he'll kill me. If you're not here, how's he going to kill you? He'll find me. He's got a lot of influence. He's in there right now with the second richest man in the entire nation of Colombia. Really? Perhaps they should mambo together. <laughs> What's your name? Lulu. 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 <laughs> <laughs> One of the most erotic names I've ever heard. You better get inside. What am I going to find inside that I haven't already found in you? I defy you to name one thing. It's too late now. For what? Who's this? Lulu, I want you to say hello to Carla. She's 
His lingerie design. Whatever you're selling, we don't want it. I don't sell or buy. I just give and take. Is that so? Well, how would you like to take a beating? Hey, no, there's a polite way of doing things. There's a rude way of doing things. I don't respond to the rude way. I do, on the other hand, respond to death rates, right? Get the hell out of here. Make a feel at home. Inside the club, Randy Jensen, played by Molly Ringwall, is being pressured to spend the night or longer with a wealthy business name named Porta Carrero, played by Bob Gunn. Facilitating this hookup is Alonzo, as he wants to get in good with the guy, and he knows that Randy's father is in debt to Alonzo for a lot of money. Don't get mad at me, okay? I'm Lulu, Alonzo's girlfriend, and I don't think you really, truly know what you're saying no to when you say no to Fernando Porta Carrero. I mean, Fernando isn't just rich. If he was just rich, I'd tell you to say to him, take a hike buster. But he isn't just rich, he's rich. I mean, they're probably going to do a whole segment on him for Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach. Look, I don't know you, but I don't care how rich he is. Then why am I here? Because someone very important to me owes Alonzo a lot of money, and Alonzo thinks that he can scare me into going with Fernando. Scare you? Alonzo didn't say anything about scaring anybody. Well, what would you call it? I call it trying to talk somebody into going out with someone rich for their own good. I mean, rich is better than poor no matter what, isn't it? I mean, you don't have any objections to money, do you? For that kind of money, I'll bet you put up with worse. I know I have. I don't care how rich he is. For me, sex and money just don't mix. Ah, now I see what you're saying. Boy, is Alonzo gonna be furious? You know who ought to be furious? You, with Alonzo. Why? For sending you on an errand like this. Hi, are you okay? Yeah, I'm leaving right now. Okay, I'll pick some up on the way home. Bye. Alonzo decides to pick up another woman named Carla, played by Lorraine Bracco. To the dismay, of Lulu, who throws a fit and ends up getting left at the club by Alonzo. Jack then again swoops in and offers her a ride. They end up making out in an empty parking lot before being hassled by the cops, who eventually leave after being bribed with $100 from Lulu. Jack drops her off soon after. Sadly, Lorraine Bracco isn't used more in this film after this club scene. Randy's father is named Flash, that's Dennis Hopper. In typical Hopper fashion, he's a drunk who gets himself into trouble. Randy is always getting Flash out of jams, but this might be more than she can handle. Jack lives with his diabetic grandmother, whom he takes care of, but he's also behind on the rent, and is being pestered by his landlord for that pesky back rent. Jack can't be bothered because, of course, he sees another woman, and he tries to pick her up. This time, she's nice to Jack's attempts, but is going to become a female priest. Good for her. Sorry, Jack, no phones at this convent. In the meantime, Randy is at the racetrack trying to win enough money to pay off her father's debts to Alonzo. After she leaves the track, Jack sees her walking around the streets because he does his scouring in this neighborhood and remembers her from the nightclub from the night before. But Jack has met his match here because Randy's quick-witted and she answers all of Jack's lines and it catches him off guard. Randy is actually like the female version of Jack, except she's way smoother than him. For whatever reason, Randy likes Jack, though she's very cool and collected about it. She even has sex with him in his car in an empty parking lot in the middle of the day. 
Though she basically tells him to shut up for 10 seconds so she can orgasm. <laughs> My name's Jack Jericho. I must say that rose goes magnificently with your pale skin and dark eyes and white teeth and pink lips and red hair. Has anyone ever told you you have the face of a Botticelli in the body of a Dega? The 10th grade art teacher. <laughs> oh, is this something strange? Did you ask? Holy shit. Is this an omen or is this an omen? It's weird. It's, it's an omen, right? This whole thing is like a mysterious omen. It's weird. Can I ask you a question? As long as it's personal. <laughs> Great answer. Wow. It's a question. I don't recognize a Botticelli, but what are these books on gambling doing here? For a friend. May I ask you another question? What do you think of a perfect stranger coming up to you on the street and giving you a rose? I think with an opening like that, there's nowhere to go but down. Never underestimate the powers of strangers bearing flowers. What's your name? Randy. That's a great name. That's really original sounding for such a female looking girl. May I ask you one last question? What if this stranger gave you the rose were to say something to you really outrageous like, Randy, I think you're the most lovely, luminous, radiant, exotic, erotic woman I've ever met, and I must make love to you immediately. Then what would you do? Depends on where he said it. You wouldn't want to find out if you liked him? I know when I like someone two seconds after having my eyes on it. Don't say that unless you're serious. Test me. Special place I'm going to take you. It's very private, very hidden. You want to know where it is? Surprise me. happens it very rarely happens i have a perfect communion with this car just needs a little foreplay try it again it'll work now what do you have magic powers well, i guess we'll not soon enough did anyone ever tell you you're too good to be true? Not only that I'm too truthful to be good. Great line. Wow. You're very smart, aren't you? Did you go to college? No? That's that's very exciting. I mean, especially... Wow, intelligence to me is just the greatest stimulant there is. I think uh, it's nothing more stimulating than, than... What are you looking at? I'm looking at your legs. And I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. Oh, I thought it was my intelligence that stimulated you. It was. It is. You know, I've always responded to women with a great intensity, but in the past it's been mixed. I love the arms, but I hate the voice. I love the voice, but I hate the mind. I love the mind, but I hate the feet. And then I have to concentrate on the one thing that excited me in order to get going. With you, it's different. Everything excites me. What are you thinking? I'm wondering if we're going to sit here until winter. Absolutely quiet for the next 15 seconds. I'll come. Jack asks for Randy's phone number after their tryst, and she refuses. 
A stunned Jack can't understand why, especially since they just had sex. Randy nonchalantly informs him that that was in the past, a phone number would be for the future, and she walks away. For once, Jack is speechless. He can't believe he's just a fling for her. Oh, the irony, right? Randy is a tour guide at the Museum of Natural History. Jack gets the bright idea to bring his students to the museum for a tour. And of course, he requests Randy to be the guide. The scene is amusing and Randy continues to somewhat enjoy Jack, but constantly puts him in his place. For example, if he's interested in really just her, he should just tear up his paper filled with the phone numbers he gets. Of course, Jack doesn't really want to do that, which proves Randy's point that she's just another pickup. It's all part of the back-and-forth game between the two. Now we get a little nice character role from Danny Aiello as Phil, who is friends with Jack and runs a little diner. Jack decides to follow Randy home from work and ends up going to her apartment. And then he meets her father, who is rip-roaring drunk. To make matters worse, Alonzo shows up to the apartment with one of his goons and demands his money, which is $25,000. Randy has until noon the following day, or else... Jack offers to help get the money to pay off Alonzo. It's a funny scene as Flash keeps calling Jack Jimmy. <laughs> also, Jack keeps thinking that Flash is her boyfriend. After leaving the apartment, Jack and Randy run into a mugger played by the great character actor, Randy Santoni. Jack uses his smooth moves to get out of them being mugged. I don't know how long you've been going with this guy, but I think it's really noble of you to take on your boyfriend's debt like it was your own. A lot of people would be... me down, a step on my face, a slide on my name all over the place, doing a thing that you want to do, but uh, uh, me stay off of my shoes, and I don't you, I step on my blue suede shoes, you can do anything, but stay off of my blue suede shoes, now listen, you can burn my house, steal my car, drink my liquor from an old fruit jar, you can do anything that you want to do, but uh, Honey, lay off of my shoes, now don't you step on my blue suede shoes. What? You're completely crazy. Randy decides to take her paycheck and head to Atlantic City to try to win enough money to pay off the debt. In the meantime, Jack is trying to figure out ways to raise money as well, more conventionally including asking his friend Phil, who tells Jack that he will help him to win the love of Randy. So Jack and Phil head to Randy's apartment to ask Flash where she is. Now keep in mind, they both think that Flash is Randy's super old boyfriend, not her father. <laughs> so, But Randy is on a bus heading to Lenox City, and she's sits next to a woman named Harriet, played by Christine Baranski, who gives her history of failed relationships to Randy. It's a nice little scene which subtly gives some context to why Randy is the way she is. Randy makes it to Atlantic City and tries to turn $525 into $25,000. However, Alonzo's men notice Randy attempting to win the cash, and they keep an eye on her. In the meantime, Jack, Phil, and Flash are driving to Atlantic City to try to help Randy. Though, without any money, I'm not sure they can help much. Randy does end up winning $13,000 playing blackjack, and then, of course, decides to bet it all on one hand to hit her debt amount. So what happens? Will she double her money and pay off the debt? Will her and Jack get together? Will Jack continue to be the pickup artist? Well, that's for you to find out. This is sort of a nice throwback film, and I don't mean from the 80s. It's actually very much from the 1930s with regards to the story and how quick the film is because it's under 90 minutes. 
I've seen so many of those Ehrlich romantic dramedy B-movies on TCM that I think I appreciate what Toback was trying to do almost 50 years later. Most modern audiences simply wanted more like John Hughes' brilliance from Molly Ringwald, which I get. And even at 81 minutes, there's enough time for a bit of subtle character development, and the film never really wears out its welcome. It's a nice, underrated flick from the 1980s that classic film buffs, I think, would appreciate. It's also a different type of role of sorts for Molly Ringwald at the time, because she's more strong-willed compared to her Brat Pack roles from a few years earlier. Again, don't go into this film expecting John Hughes' awesomeness. I think if you temper your expectations, you will likely enjoy the film for what it is. All right, some fun facts. The film was originally meant for older actors, Warren Beatty and Robert De Niro. And Toback had the same sort of vision about this type of film that I mentioned prior. He said he would have cast Cary Grant and Irene Dunn if it was made 40 years prior. Warren Beatty did have a big hand in the film, offering his advice and even directing a few scenes. Now, this film may have done a bit better in years prior, because 1987 was when the AIDS crisis hit its mainstream peak across the world. So, by glorifying casual sex and hookups, that was kind of frowned upon at the time compared to years prior. Also, the one sex scene in the film is all audio, because you only see the car from a distance. You never actually see the two of them at all. And even though I could use this bit of knowledge for a Pretty in Pink episode, Ringwald and Downey were friends prior to the pickup artist. So much so that she wanted Downey to play the ducky role in Pretty in Pink, which of course later went to John Cryer. Now, seeing Downey's oddball work in Back to School, I think he definitely could have pulled it off. However, how can you deny Ducky and John Cryer? He is Ducky. All right, again, don't expect much from the film, but I think if you do like classic screwball romantic comedies from the 30s and 40s that you you might watch on, on TCM, you might dig this. If not, well, I'll have another movie next week. It may be better. It may not be. You never know what's going to be in my DVD collection. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.